Welcome to Reality Bites, a podcast about sex, love, relationships, and dating in the digital age. I'm Courtney Kosak. And I'm Steve Hernandez. And it is January. Yeah, everything's going pretty good. It's good to be back into the swing of things. Um, I'm back doing a bunch of mics and shows and everything. We were uh, just talking about how the hustle, though, is so boring. boring. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we, you know, you guys might not know this, but we sit down before we do the intro and we go, okay, what do you want to talk about? And uh, we're just working, so it's very boring, and we're in stable, monogamous relationships, so that's kind of boring. Um, Julia got off her period, so that, that was good. <laughs> I mean, uh, she just doesn't like to have sex really during her period. But uh, I'm I don't ta- either. Uh, I, Are you a fan of period sex? Uh, I mean, when you first, like, I don't know, first year or something like that, but uh, I don't know. You know, I've been, Julie and I have been together essentially for three years now, so I have to, and I'm older. So, I mean, Wade and I are the same age, right? Mm-hmm. Pretty much. We're mm-hmm. like practically 40 years old. So, yeah, I have to make myself have sex with with Julie. I mean, sometimes I want to, don't get me wrong. And it's not like I don't think she's super sexy or beautiful. I love her body, really. But I know she lets me get, I mean, because she's in, she's 30, and you're in your early 30s too, right? Yeah, it's like peak sexual. Yeah, it's the worst, it's the worst, I mean, this is the terrible matchup right here. You guys should be with (laughs) (laughs) 19-year-olds. But do you, do you definitely notice with your age, like, the decline in libido? Absolutely, and especially we've been together for a while too, but... It's just uh, once you start, I mean, once I get, once you get going, it's fine. Right. You just have to make yourself. And I've like truly, you know, I just make myself. So she'll let me get away. We have to have sex at least every other day. She'll let me get away with one That's day. That's good. Yeah. I mean, but like we have to, like she'll, she lays there in bed. So I don't have sex at night at all. I just don't like it. It bugs me unless it's like a romantic holiday or a birthday. Then we'll do it first, like at 6 p.m., and then we go eat and do, you know, get drunk and stuff. But, you know, we have sex in the morning. That's what we do. And so what will happen is, like, if she has work at, like, 11, then she'll set her alarm for, like, 9.30. And so her alarm will go off, and then she'll just, like, start looking at her phone right next to me in bed. And I'm still kind of sleeping, but, like, I (laughs) I sense she's awake. And she set her, her alarm, like, 45 minutes early. So it's, like... Okay. I mean, she doesn't say anything, but it's like, all right, well, you know, I'm just waiting. I'm waiting for you to get going. And I'm like, okay. Um, Every other day, though. Damn. That's, you know, what what are we going to do? I'm her first, like, long-term relationship. She doesn't know that that's, like, a long time. That's a long time. I will tell you something funny that happened yesterday is, uh, for some reason, um, I don't know what happened, but she couldn't come the, the first time, the first day. And then we had sex the next day, and she came. And then, uh, I guess it was three days in a row, so this was a lot. And then, um, I think it was yesterday or a couple of days ago, um, I was going for a while. Like, you know, I was going down on her for a while and everything, and she just couldn't come. And then I was like, and she's like, have sex with me some more. So we start having sex, and then I come, which I hate to do. I hate coming <laughs> and when she hasn't come yet, because I'm like, come on, man, I'm done now. It's over. <laughs> like, I'd rather just not come. But then after I came, like, where normally 10 years ago, I would have been like, yeah, you know, we tried, you know, too bad. But I, was, I looked at her and I was like, you want me to keep trying? And she was like, yeah. And I was like, God damn it. So, <laughs> so we went. And then I went a while again. And she, she couldn't. And then I was like, I was like, last time you came, you sat on my face. So let's try that again. And then so she we'd moved again. And then she finally came. And I was like, that was a very, like, I wouldn't have done that 10 years ago. Cause I, I was like, you wouldn't have stayed with it. You wouldn't have given it. Yeah. And it she, extra- she wouldn't have asked either, which is, you know, that's a whole woman thing or whatever. But yeah, I mean, we went for a while for her to come. And I was just like, this chick won't ask. So I have to fucking like put it on me to like make sure this happens. And it took a long time. It was just straight work. Two people that love each other going to work, trying to make somebody come. <laughs> there wasn't anything sexy about it, but it, it was it was pretty sweet and loving. But I mean, you guys have been together for a while, and this must be something you have to force. Yeah, you, you know what? I used to i I felt like for the longest time, everywhere I would roll up, it's like I, we just got done fucking. <laughs> and it was like, oh yeah, you had that look about you too. <laughs> <laughs> it was like, yeah, it wasn't well hidden. Um, but now. 
like we live together and there's just like the daily grind of it. And, you know, sometimes like one of us will be feeling like, you know, we go exchange who's horny and who's not. And then by the time it like matches up, it's been like, I don't know, four days or, you know, whatever. Anyway, I think we need to, we need to increase our numbers. Yeah, you just got to you got to go to work and you got to remember that it's um I know for me I'm like, oh, this just isn't this is a part of life now. It's not going to be and then sometimes of course it is. You know what yeah. I mean? Sometimes yeah. it syncs up and it's really fun, but for the most part it's like for me I'm like, well, this is the rest of my life now. And that's okay. That's just how it goes. And like I said, it's just once you get going, once I slide in, I'm like, oh, this is great. Oh, yeah. yeah. Every (laughs) time we're doing it, we're like, oh, shit, we should do this all the time. Yeah, yeah. I mean, we. if you want to compare sex to exercise, everybody wants to be like, oh, yeah, you want to be gung-ho about it. But it's not a gung-ho thing a lot of times. A lot of times it's going to the gym. And you're like, you know, if you want to have a happy life with this person, then you're going to have to put in the work. And that includes just making yourself do it when you don't necessarily feel like do it. And then it connects you in a way that is necessary and that you need. And then everyone feels attractive and you feel more loving towards that person. I mean, I'm not stupid. I've, I've been in enough relationships and I've been in open stuff to know that, yes, I could start over with someone else and it would be hot and heavy for another six months or a year. And mm-hmm. then it would be mm-hmm. this again. Yeah. So however hot the girl is, however, whatever, if you love somebody, they become your family and eventually you don't want to fuck your family. So you just push through and then... Uh, <laughs> this it, is so romantic. It's, it's <laughs> the, what's romantic is the commitment to doing the work. Yeah. And to knowing yeah. I'm not going to... You know, I'm not going to do, I'm not doing this because I'm horny. I'm doing this because I love you and because I think you're attractive and sexy, even though I don't feel it. And then once we're in the middle of it, we feel it and we're connected in a way that without sex. I mean, that's one reason why I probably wouldn't do an open thing again is because uh, it really affected my marriage sex when I was having sex with uh, some chick I was dating for oh, two for months. Sure. You know what I mean? I mean, how could she compete with that? And so I think she felt that way. And But there have been times, and it was a very sad, there would be times where, we we're trying to do it and we both didn't feel like it. And I was just like, you know what? We don't have to do this. And we're like, okay. I mean, that's a sad thing to do. Mm-hmm. So I, I do think there's something. And, you know, if you, you know, we talk about you want to be married forever and stuff. We talk about that a lot. There, I do think there is something about pressing in with someone and not giving up on a thing mm-hmm. and staying with them longer. And that that kind of thing builds a love and a. That's full of character and integrity. That's that gets goes deep compared to other things where you just have this, you know, shallow thing. Or even a, we, I, I dug a three foot hole with this person. That's pretty good. But if you can dig a fucking big old ditch with someone over a lifetime, I think that just means something more. Yeah, it's beautiful. So we have uh, Riley Silverman on today. Um, I. It was a great convo. Yeah, it was great. I've known Riley uh, for since I've been doing stand up. I remember her um, before she started transitioning fully, and uh, I liked her then. <laughs> uh, but she's great, and um, she's she's such an open book. And um, it was really great talking to her. She's having a big surgery next week, so I think by the time you guys hear this, uh, she will have had this big surgery. I'm not telling you what it is. We talk about it in the interview, but uh, she's and also recently going through a breakup. Yeah, she went through a breakup, and uh, she was a real open book and and a true delight. I know Courtney hadn't met her, but this was the perfect time to have her on. Um, she's going through this breakup, and then she's about to have this big surgery. But um, people love her, and they really look up to her. And I think after you listen to this interview, you'll understand why. Um, so, you know, you've heard enough about us talking. So without further <laughs> ado, here's Riley Silverman. You guys, we have a very special guest for you, Riley Silverman. Yes. Hi. Yes, yes. I'm so happy to meet you. You too. Yeah, I feel like I've, like, seen lurked around on social media, and now I get to... That's how it works. Yeah. <laughs> now I've known Riley for years. How long have you been doing? How long have you been in LA? Doing I've been comedy? in LA for it'll be eight years this coming, like like uh, April May. Uh-huh. Okay, so when I started, you must have just gotten here because I'm about seven and a half in now. Yeah. So you must have just gotten here, but I, I remember you. You know, I remember uh, that 
Jake uh, Kroger had that taco one. Yeah, and, uh, <laughs> yeah, in Little, Little Tokyo. Yeah, it was like a taco I, restaurant, in, a fish taco place in yeah. Little Tokyo. Yeah, and I remember we and, would uh, go to that one every week. I know the name of the place, but I won't say it in case, because I remember, I remember that open mic ended because someone got literally naked at the open <laughs> mic at a oh restaurant where there were children. <laughs> yeah, it was not a good call. The uh, fish taco place? Yeah, yeah, I think it's just Taco Nazo, right? What's that? It's Taco Nazo there. No, no, it's. it's not? I mean, it might be now, but I, it, I was very specific. Uh, it was a. It was not best fish tacos. It was like. Uh, it was. It was. It was. I can just say it was senior fish. Oh, like, that's yeah, what it was. Yeah, yeah I guess. Right, yeah. I guess there's not only liability issues. Like, was, they know what they did. It was they know seven what years ago, too. Yeah. Or five. And six the restaurant years didn't do anything wrong. They yeah, got, yeah. Like someone got naked in their restaurant. They're going to close it down. Did you move to LA to do stand up? Like, did you know that's what you wanted to do? Yeah, I had already been doing stand up since 2001. So it was just a. It was a career move to move from being a road comic in Ohio to doing stand-up in LA. Oh, nice. How do you get started? Like, is there a scene where you can, like, learn how to do it? Is there, like, open mics and stuff there? Oh, yeah. I mean, I'm from a major city. I'm not... It's not, like, a small farm town. I mean, I'm from a suburb of Columbus, Ohio, and Columbus has, like, a major comedy club and a lot of bars and a cool, like, hip young scene. So, uh, I actually think it's better to start outside of LA and start, like, in Uh a scene where... Because I think that in non-major market scenes, especially outside of LA... I feel like open mics, you can actually like get audiences to come to them. And there's like more of an interest in the idea of like people who are working on material. Uh And so I felt like at least of my generation of comics in Columbus, we, we treated open mics like they were shows. And like you, like you, I mean, they were still rough and you're still working on new material and stuff like that, but you still try to be a little bit professional with it. And that like kind of helped you get, it was like training wheels to do real shows as opposed to like, like just like kind of going up and like kind of like, acting like it doesn't matter because it's training or whatever. We, uh-huh. we treated it like an act, like, like, like scrimmaging or whatever. As Plus you get to. stage time. It was great. Uh, there was a, there was a weird period, like two or three years in. Cause like I started, we would do open mics at the funny bone in Columbus. And then we would go around to other bars in town and we had like a few spots that were like regular spots. And then there was like a, like a year where all the regular spots just like closed at once. And so there was like once we might, might only get up once a week or whatever. Uh-huh. And there were like random places here or there. And it was pretty dreary, but you know, you soldiered through it. And then, the way that you kind of develop there is you start getting road work and you do these gigs that are essentially like one nighter gigs in the middle of nowhere where you like do a run of these shows where you drive like six to eight hours even into like random places in the Midwest uh-huh. and you do these like bar shows and you do like 25 to 30 minutes and you get paid like a hundred bucks on a hotel room and you just do those. Like that's like your grind as a road comic in that era. The, uh, and probably, probably still people doing it that way. I just, I don't do it that way anymore. That's like but, a dream though, right? To get paid when you're kind of, yeah, I mean, it's, 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 it's a dream and then you do it for a year and then you're like, Oh my God, what am I doing with my life? And that's actually, cause I was actually a closeted, uh, trans girl at the time and I was doing these shows and then like part of what kept me from being able to like part of why I was afraid to come out was most of these shows were these like very very like blue collar shows in the uh-huh. middle of nowhere and it was not a place where I felt like I would be comfortable coming out and, and like doing a bunch of like trans material especially in like the mid 2000s so what so, was your material about then you um, Back then, it was very observational. It was very impersonal. It was just very, like, topical or, like, silly or nerdy material. And then it was, like, around... 2007, 2008, I started doing more personal material anyway about things happening in my life. And then I kind of had this moment of like, okay, well, what kind of comedian do I want to be? And the comedians mm-hmm. that I really respect are people who are doing more personal, like, things about them as opposed to these detached things. And then also... I was just, that was just what I was writing more and more of. And I just felt like, okay, I'm being very dishonest on stage. I'm like, I'm trying to be honest on stage and I'm presenting myself as very honest on stage, but I'm keeping this big part of myself a secret. And like, I can never be truly myself on stage if I'm in the closet. And so I like, in 2009, I kind of like made it my goal for the year. Like I have to get comfortable. I was very ashamed of myself still. And I was like, I have to get comfortable with this part of me and people knowing about it. And I have to start telling people about it. And like, and then, you know, slowly started coming. I came out that year. And then at the time I was still kind of living more as a crossdresser. And then I kind of slowly transitioned towards being an open trans woman. And at that point were because I think I heard on another podcast or something that like, um, before you transitioned, you actually, uh, felt like more bisexual on the sexuality spectrum. Yeah. And then now you would identify more. As a lesbian. Yeah. Yeah. Before I was on hormones, that's how I felt. That's I, I so was, interesting. But I was like a Kinsey, like... Like, so what, what Kinsey, what, three or four is like the true bisexual, uh-huh. I think. And like, 
I was probably like, I think like a three is what they consider like a true bisexual. Mm-hmm. Um, like I think a zero is like true straight or whatever. And so I was like, I don't right know about, if that exists, it's something yeah. like that, but that's the concept. Like <laughs> right, the concept right. of Kinsey is like zero is true straight <laughs> and like six is truly gay. And then like, like, one and two and like four and five of the gray areas. So I would say that like as a woman, I was always, when I was like bi, I was like around like a four. And then after I've been on hormones for like three years, like my, my attractions have really shifted me completely towards like, like a, like a five, not a full six, but like a definitely like a five. Fascinating. So you had, uh, so you've had sex with guys before? I have, I've I fooled around with guys. I wouldn't say I've had full on sex, but I've, I've, I've like, you know, Fooled around here and there, and it was you know it was fine. <laughs> yeah, it was it was like it was kind of like I I remember the first time I did it, I was actually frustrated that it wasn't amazing or terrible. Like I was actually like God, I wanted this to be like something where I would know when I left here. Instead, it was like oh, this is just another kind of sex that you can have. Um, and the, and then the problem was is that I like was you still, wanted to be repulsed. Or I wanted something. I wanted to either be really repulsed or really really into yeah. it. But the I think the problem was that the issue wasn't who I was having sex with. It was who I was having sex as because I was still living as a man. And so people were still approaching me sexually as a man and I was still approaching sex as a man. And I think that uh, transitioning and having, first of all, both mentally thinking of myself as a woman, I, I always was, but being open about that and making sure my partners knew that's who I was, but also chemically the way that my, my body reacts now that I have been on hormones and I've been taking estrogen for almost three years, the way my body responds to sensations is very, very different than it was before. And so now like, like I've heard other lesbians, like cis lesbians talk about like their first time with another woman and like how like they had this moment, like, Oh my God, this is how it's supposed to feel. And I didn't have that when I was trying all of this like kind of sex stuff, but I did have it once I finally had like post transition sex with a woman. Like that's when I was like, Oh my God, this is exactly what I wanted. And like, yeah, it was great. So when, when did your transition, would you say started like around the time that you moved to LA? Yeah, it was a long road for me. I, I, there's a pretty standard path that like, like a lot of, like there's like a trans, there's like a TS roadmap and stuff like that people follow. (laughs) I didn't do that. Like I always joke that like, if you followed like my path of transition, I was like those dotted line paths and family circus that like, like goes around the neighborhood and like jumps on this slide and goes on this. That's how it was for me. So like, I didn't just go, okay, I'm a woman and like start like taking hormones. I I spent several years resisting taking hormones, like thinking that it wasn't going to work for me or it wasn't going to be enough. And not really understanding the process as well as I should have. And so for me, I was like trying to cope with being just like kind of genderqueer and how I presented and stuff like that. And it took me until like about four and a half to five years ago to really start going, okay, this is not working for me. I need to figure out what I need to do instead. And then started the process of like making appointments, talking to doctors. And then three years ago on St. Patrick's day is when I actually like went and like started taking my pills. And so it was like, it was like two days after I recorded my album, I was in doctor's office being handed like a prescription for uh, estrogen and, and testosterone blockers and stuff like that. Nice. When did you, uh, when did you, when did you realize that this is what you were going through? How old were you when, when you figured out, Oh, I'm, I'm really a woman. Um, I definitely have memories of, of, understanding myself or wishing that I was a girl in as early as like, like early childhood, like some of my earliest memories were longing to be a girl and not understanding why I couldn't be. And like, I have these memories of things like, um, it's funny. I just wrote this article about this recently. We were writing about like, cause I'm really into like genre fiction, like nerdy sci-fi and stuff like that. And there was a question about like, what was like the thing that drew you in? And even though this isn't like a, a fandom that I'm really obsessed with anymore, I remember really loving back to the future as a kid because I didn't really understand how like being an inventor worked like a doc Brown inventor. And so I kind of, in my mind at a really like three or four or five years old sort of understood being an inventor as like, you just have a really good idea and then you just make a thing. that does a thing and you don't need to know any, I didn't understand like you needed to know like science and like you had to understand like the laws of physics and reality for it to work. So I would like think of things to invent 
the same way Doc Brown invented a time machine. But the things that I would invent would be things like, oh, I want to write, I want to invent like a pencil where you write down a thing that you want to have happen and then it happens for you. Like it was like also kind of a mix of like, of like Back to the Future, but also like Are You Afraid of the Dark or like Goose, like, like, like fantasy Wish series where you, yeah, yeah, like Eerie Indiana, like that kind of stuff. And I remember very clearly having things like I could write down that tomorrow I wake up and I'll be a girl. Like that was stuff that I remember having like very strong memories about and as early as like five and six years old. Was it something that like other people were keyed into? No, no. Back then there was no conversation about like, I mean, like I always talk about how like we didn't even really talk about people being gay until I was like in like, like late junior high, high school around when Ellen came out. Like, you know, I wasn't, it wasn't like I was living in a super like regressive area. It just wasn't part of the conversation. Was, was there a homophobic stuff happening that was part of the conversation? No, I mean, like, we did, like, the idea of someone you being gay didn't talk about wasn't it. a concept. Like, it, like I, I w- it was, like, mind-blowing when I got to be preteen to know that there were adults who would couple up with people of the same sex. Like, that was, like, completely... Like, when we started talking about it and people say, like, oh, well, this is... A, like, it was even, I remember, there was a gay male couple that lived in my neighborhood, and I remember even as a kid, like they had like really tall trees that like blocked their yard. And then my mom would say it so people can't see in. But even as a kid, I didn't understand that it meant they were having sex. Like I just was like, Oh, that's weird. Two guys live together. Why would they need a lot of tall trees? Like I didn't understand that because yeah. it wasn't explained to me and it wasn't something that was Ernie presented and Bert, to me. Like, yeah. Duh. Yeah. You know what though? Ernie and Bert, it's funny because everyone always reads them as a gay couple. As a kid, I always read them as brothers because it just seemed like, Oh, they I have know. a bedroom and like, like, like they just seem like, 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 cause they had like two beds in the same room, which is like a thing that kids would have at that time. I, I had plenty of friends who shared a bedroom with a sibling. So I always read Bert and Ernie as brothers. And then it's so funny as an adult. Like, I, I feel like I'm you're like the first person to actually agree with me on that statement. Because everyone's <laughs> always like, no, they're definitely a gay couple. I'm like, you didn't know that. You didn't know that. People told you and you followed along the party line. So yeah. was there a thing like after you came out that there wasn't a thing that your family was like, oh, we always knew? No, no. My parents, they they it took them a long time after I came out to actually accept that it was real. Like they, I, I think it's one of those things they probably didn't want to believe it. And again, like I said, we weren't even talking about people, people being gay. So we definitely didn't have a conversation about trans issues. Yeah. I mean, the things that have taken place in the past 10, 12 years, which I mean, is nothing. 10 or 12 years is nothing is, uh, let alone gay rights, but to, to get to this place where we're talking about transgendered people and transgender rights, this thing happened so quick. So that, um, yeah, I, I well, mean, it happened very slowly and then started speeding up. Yeah, sure, like, sure. Let's yeah. be fair. Like, yeah. there was a very long period of time where it wasn't <laughs> happening at all. And so, yeah, I, I'm always, I, I get what you're saying, but I'm yeah. always very hesitant to be like, yeah, it'll happen overnight. Like, no, there was like, like, people don't know that the Stonewall riots were started by trans women of color. Like it was, oh. it was like drag queens and trans women, which kind of in the seventies didn't really have as much of a distinction between them. Um, and yeah, it was these two, these two women especially were really big in the New York queer scene. It was, um, Marsha Johns, Marsha P. Johnson and Sylvia R- uh, R- Rivera. And they were like these very outspoken, like, like village Queens. And they, they were like two of the huge voices that led to the riots and were part of like the throwing the bricks and stuff like that. So, um, and then the movement kind of pushed them out because they were like the more extravagant, like flamboyant, like voices. And now we're finally like kind of getting our voices back in our own movement. Oh, that's interesting. When did you start cross-dressing? Uh, I, as far back as I can remember sneaking clothes and stuff like that. Like when I was a kid, my, I had a playroom down in the basement that had like all my toys and stuff in it. Mm-hmm. My mom would also like store her dresses in there sometimes like extra ones. And I remember like when I didn't think anyone would be down for a while, like sneak on a dress or whatever and stuff like that. So that was like a pretty young memory of mine. Um, as an actual conscious act of like, I'm trying to dress up like a, I, I buried it for a long time in like the later years of my childhood, like through somewhat like junior high ish. And then it kind of crept back into my mind again. And then like closeted wise, I was dressing up in women's clothing probably all through high school and then like into college and into my early twenties. And I would have like, shameful periods where I would like throw everything away and hide it and not try anything on. And then I would like, it would always creep back in at some point. And when did you feel comfortable enough going out in public? 
not long before I actually came out. Like it was definitely something I was scared of because I was ashamed of it. Like it was, it took me a long time to not be ashamed of it. And so I couldn't even fathom the idea of telling somebody. And I had a few friends that I told in private and like, but even then it was still treated like this weird, like fetishy thing that I did or whatever, as opposed to like uh, just a part of who I was. Um, I didn't really start going. I remember I went to New York to try to move there in 2007. And I remember like, putting on a skirt one afternoon and walking. I, bu- I bought a skirt at a like H&M uh-huh. and I put it on and then I walked around Union Square for like two or three hours and then I changed back out of it into a pair of pants and like that was like my re- my rebellious I'm in New York I'm going to put on a dress <laughs> like kind of thing. Um, it was part of you though like yes. Yeah it was amazing is- and it was also like oh no one get, no one cares. Like I remember being like very much aware that no one really cared like a few people I'm like oh that's weird but that's about it like, like no one but I remember in Ohio, it was a few more like there was there was this website that probably still exists, but I'm not involved and haven't been involved in it in a very long time. But it was a site called You Are Not Alone. And they would have like and it just so happened that the founders of the site lived in Columbus. And so like once a month, they'd have this like You Are Not Alone party. They call it, they call it the tea party. And it was like a once a month like come out, come out to this gay bar and dress up and be yourself. And it's like a safe space. And I went to it once and it was miserable. And so I then I was like, oh, maybe I'm not actually trans because I didn't really enjoy myself that night. What was so miserable time. about it? <laughs> you know, it was because it was it was in a gay bar, which is fine. But it was like it was a bar that catered to gay men and like older gay men. It was like a very divey gay bar. And like it wasn't a place where like I would normally want to hang out. Now I probably love it because now I love a divey gay bar. Right? Back <laughs> then, I'm like, well, this is more just sad people. Like not sad, but, like older people just sitting around with drinks, staring at the wall or whatever. And like also at the time, like the game, like there was no interaction between the gay men and the trans and the crossdressers or whatever. Because like most of the people that were going were crossdressers as opposed to like identified trans women. And so it was very much like. We're, we're all really straight and we just put on stuff and that's it. And then so like there was this weird like like separation of the room. Mm-hmm. It felt like a like a junior high party where like all the girls were on one side and the boys were on the other or whatever. And then everyone who was there was like at least 10, 15, 20 years older than me for the most part. So I had nothing in common with anybody. So it was literally like once the rush of I'm out in public and I'm wearing a dress wore off, I'm like, okay, well, now I'm bored in public in a dress. <laughs> like I don't know what to do. And I remember actually uh, it's funny because I'm – I I now work for Maximum Fun, the podcast network. And when I went out that night, I remember I called into the Jordan Jesse Go podcast as like a momentous occasion saying I'm out in public. And I go, well, I got it out. Of, I, I said, like, I now that I have it out of my system, I guess I've done it. And then they were like, that's not out of this person's system. And then like <laughs> now I actually work for the company. It's funny that like it's kind of, kind of come full circle with them. That's but so I remember. Funny. So wait, you could track down that episode if you wanted to? I think so. Yeah. Dude, that's crazy. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, I wonder how long it was a long time ago. It might not be available in their archives anymore, but I've been on the show. I've been a guest on that show and they didn't know. I was a guest that I was the caller and like they've referenced that call many, many times over the years. And I thought they knew that I had, I had emailed them when I first moved to town, but they get a million emails. But I remember on the show, I said it and just the look on both their faces when they realized that I, what I was telling them was priceless. Uh, the first time I remember having really good time out in public was I remember uh, I made really good friends with a, I met a lesbian who worked at, uh, at the Apple store with me and we became really good friends and she was kind of just coming out as well. And like, I think she was like six months out of the closet or like a year out and she was still very shy and hadn't gone out much. And so she and I both started going out to this lesbian bar that was in Columbus that was called East village. And that was the first place where like, I, I went to her place and I got all dressed up with makeup and I like bought, I like bought a dress and stuff to go out and like a wig. And I remember that being really fun. Cause it was like, Oh, there's a bar. Like I, and I was old enough to drink and like, there was like, partying i guess i was on the drink the first time too but there was like people my age and there was mm-hmm. dancing and stuff like that and there was a little bit more fear because i did see people that i recognized and i was afraid they would recognize me at first but um but that was still kind of a safe place to go because it was like a gay bar and it was like i think people tend to if they recognize you they also understand like especially back then the gay bar in the midwest was like okay everyone had like we all know to keep the code or whatever so how quick was the phase where you, because it, it had to happen first where you thought, oh, I'm just gay, right? Not really. Really? Actually, that never happened? It came back later. Like after I, after I was out, I didn't start trying to like, like have sex with men as a man until I was out here. Like, I, I think I might've like a couple times, like, like 
hinted towards it in Ohio. And like, I might've like occasionally like, like maybe like looked up, tried to look up the porn, but it never like appealed much to me. Um, I was, I was probably already getting pretty close to 30 when I actually like experimented with that. And it, it very quickly, I knew that wasn't the case for me. Oh, that's so interesting. You knew, you just knew that this was what, what it was. Well, I just, cause I, I had no interest in dating men. Yeah. Like I didn't find, I mean, I didn't really, I could not imagine in my life having a male partner. Like I never, even like, even when I fooled around with a couple of guys, I never was like, Oh, Oh, that guy is cute. I wanted to be my boyfriend. I never had that feeling. So like romantically, you were like women. I was always, yeah, I was always very like, like homo romantic. I was always very into women. And I just, it just took me a long time to realize that I needed to be a woman with women as opposed to being like this feminine man with women or whatever. Who's your first crush? Oh God. Um, <laughs> probably, probably Kirsten Dunst. Like that was probably my Good first choice. like real hardcore one. <laughs> like I had a couple of small ones. Like I definitely like had crushes on like characters like on Star Trek. Like I had a huge crush on, uh, Jetsia Dex on uh, DS9, but that was like, that may have been after my crush on Kirsten Dunst, because I think I started feeling things for her around. Oh, I can't remember now. What movie? Um, I definitely remember it in Small Soldiers, but that was, I think, I was, I was already, I was already driving at that point because I worked at a Burger King when that movie came out. I remember like we had like tie and stuff because she was too young. When when, when uh, Interview the Vampire came out, we were both children, so I didn't have like thoughts at that age. But I remember that movie coming out and having a big thing for her. And uh, there was like a, a period of time where she was in a bunch of movies at yeah, once. Yeah, she was like, in everything. She was in Dick. She was in Drop Dead Gorgeous. Like that's like prime Riley Kirsten Dunst crush. <laughs> <laughs> and like a little bit of Rachel Rachel Lee Cook too. That was a big one. Those like that era, like those like the the teen girl romance stars of my like high school years were like my big crushes. Was LA like a warm place to transition? Like was it do you, because of like I feel I would feel like the community here would be so much. Is that a misconception? A little <laughs> bit. It's a, it's a little bit. I, the city I'm from in Columbus, in Ohio, Columbus, is actually a fairly liberal city. It is. I, I What I always say is Columbus is almost like a secret Portland of the Midwest. Like it has that uh. kind of vibe to it. But it's smaller. And the areas that are cool in Columbus are smaller. But there are areas to go. And what I always say about the big difference between L.A. and Columbus is that LA, like in Columbus, when I would go out as myself, I had to be like, like, okay, what, where can I go where I'm not going to be afraid? Whereas in LA, it's like, okay, where can I not go so I won't be afraid? Like, LA has like a lot more safe areas to go to. Um, but it's also very different. I've been out here for eight years, so I don't even know what it would be like to be an out trans woman in Columbus. I was only out in Columbus for like nine months, and mm-hmm. that was fine. Like, I never felt unsafe there. And I've been assaulted here. So, like, there's nowhere in the country that's really 100% safe to be a trans person. Um, but they're like, like, I, I think that I could do okay in Columbus now. I just, I don't think I ever want to live there again more because I think just too many people remember me as who I used to be. And I just don't really want to live in that fake person shadow ever again. Did it, did, did it change your relationships with people that you knew before? It's hard to say because I also moved away like a, like less than a year later. And so I don't know how much drifting apart happened because of me coming out as trans or because of me not living in that city anymore. Because there's people in my life that are still part of my life, people that aren't as much a part of my life. But I do think it's more because of the moving than anything else. Uh-huh. But it's hard because they're kind of mixed together. Like I didn't move to be openly trans. I moved for comedy, but it definitely like gave me the freedom to explore myself more and be more open and figure out who I really wanted to be. So now, I mean, you have such like great visibility and, um, you, I mean, do you just, do you get letters from people? I do sometimes. I get like emails and letters and these days it's mostly like tweets and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. I will say that like, I briefly got brave and had one of those like Saraha, like whatever that anonymous inbox thing that people were doing for like a minute last fall, oh, yeah, last, yeah, yeah. last spring. I got some really lovely messages. Like I was terrified to do it because I thought I was going to open it up and just get like an inbox full of garbage and like secret hate mail or whatever. But it actually, there was a lot of people who said very, very nice things to me and like said a lot of things about how I helped them to understand they were trans or I helped them understand they weren't alone or how seeing somebody like me who looked more like how they viewed themselves like really helped them. So it was actually like, I teared up a lot as I was getting those. Cause it's like, you don't realize you have that much of an impact on people's lives. And then suddenly they tell you this and like, cause I, you know, I have a day job, I do comedy and like, I have like my very small group of friends that I hang out with, but like, uh-huh. I'm, I'm a pretty like low key person. And so to like find out that like there's somebody in some state, like, 
that I've never met whose life I changed forever is really weird and interesting and like kind of humbling in a way. And like, it also kind of gives you a big head at the same time. Like, <laughs> like, oh. Yeah. I remember you were real big on mod cloth for a while, right? Yeah. And I have a lot of people who were like fans of me because of that. And like told me how much it meant to them to see somebody like me on that page. You were right. The first trans model that they had. Yeah, I wasn't even really a model. Like, like although the the former, like the founder tells me that I can say that I was a model, which is nice of her to do. But I was more of like a very celebrated customer. Like they 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 did like a profile on me, and they like had like a photo shoot with me, uh, and then they also like made a dress that they well they they had a dress they were already gonna sell, and they named it after me on the site. Oh, that's I got so to pick cool. It out, so that was cool. That was my old name, but still, it was really cool. That's awesome. Uh, how how much how much did you? The, every year, you, you, it seems that because I, I remember you and you used to wear kilts and stuff. Yeah. I remember that kind of thing. Yeah, yeah. And you didn't talk about this stuff that much, but how how much how freeing was it uh, to become more of yourself on stage? Oh, it's really freeing. Like, I, I think like even if I'm not like doing as well career wise as I might have been before, I don't know. I can't really gauge that. I just I love what I'm doing on stage more than I ever was before. Like I I think I've found like what I like doing, which is kind of like just telling me some like personal story kind of things on stage, and and it's just yeah, it's um it's much more fulfilling for me and just much more like interesting for me to be doing it. Like I think of myself the way like like I, I always like break up comedy. If you're gonna break it up into genres, I think that I fall more into like that soulful singer songwriter type of genre as opposed yeah. to like a, like a kiss you know like so which is fine and I actually like I know that like I'm probably always gonna be like a niche act but like I like that the people who like me appreciate what I do and yeah do you feel so I mean we've already started talking about it but like obviously the media landscape uh, around like queerness and just LGBT stuff has shifted dramatically in the last decade do you but I can't think of how many other how many out trans stand-up comics are there? There's more than you would think. There's actually, like, uh, if I, off the top of my head, I can think of a ton right now. Like, I can think of, like, like right here in L.A., we have Olivia Hadar, and we have, we have Robert, Robin Tran, who lives down in the O.C., and we have, um, there is um, Natasha Muse up in San Francisco, and there's, like, Karina Lucas that lives uh-huh. in, in Portland, and there's, like, a bunch that live out in the East Coast. And so, like, like, and just, I'm missing people already off the top of my head. Like I'm feeling like I'm skipping people because I know like I have a, a I can think of a, a bunch of men. Lexi but. Hack, who lives in Seattle, um, and uh, Andy Winaccio from Sat, from whose name I always say the last name wrong, but Andy <laughs> lives in Seattle as well and does show. I wouldn't even have taken a shot at that last. Yeah, name. <laughs> I, I should know better. Um, yeah, there's a lot of people like, and I know a few trans men as well. Like I know Jeffrey J and uh, and uh, Ian Harvey and uh-huh. stuff like that. So there is that chunk as well. And there's I think there's just more and more all the time. I think I'm unique and that I'm one of the few that was like a working comedian before she came out and like transitioned on the job sort of and like can and there's a few more people doing it that way now too but I think people are coming out younger and younger that you're going to maybe see less of that in the future as opposed to more of it but um so I was listening to you on another podcast and you were talking about dating a a fan yeah was it just a one and done or no, that that's actually the, that's actually the breakup that I just that I'm kind of going through right now. Oh, I'm so, sorry. Yeah, that's fine. Um, when did you guys break up? Like like the day after New Year's. Uh, oh, jeez. Yeah. Oh, God. Yeah. Uh, how long did you date for? We started dating at the end of September. It was long distance, so we started like talking and flirting online at the end of September. And I, I even even though like we broke up, I still feel like like I know I called her a fan on that podcast. But even then, I felt bad about it. Like on the podcast, I even kind of like I was on homophilia, I think, and I yeah, was like, yeah, like oh, it's kind of aggressive to call her a fan because we 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 had already kind of become friends when we started dating. But like that's how we first connected. Uh-huh. Um, it was weird. Only in that she knew a lot more about me than I knew about her when we first started dating because she had been following me on social media for several years and I only vaguely knew about her for a while. Like, I knew she was someone who liked my comedy and was cute. That's, like, all I really knew about her. Um, And they, like, had read all my posts and stuff like that. And, like, there was moments where I would, like, talk about things that happened in my life and they, like, knew, like, details. And I was like, oh, it's weird. And I remember at one point I tried to like play catch up by like going through like their page and like looking for details and stuff like that. But eventually I'm like, this doesn't feel right either. So I kind of let that go. And the only way I can describe it, this is such a weird analogy, but this is, this is the best analogy I have for it is it's like, if you watch any show or movie about time travel, 
like there's a rule where sort of like once you are part of events in a time travel thing, you can't go back and change anything. Like you have to kind of just let things play out as you would. Uh-huh. Otherwise you create a paradox. And so I feel like with dating, that's kind of how I felt like I was like, okay, this is the point where I have entered her timeline. And so <laughs> I, what I will learn from her from here on out is what she wants me to know and like what I'm learning from her. And that seemed to work out okay until we broke up. We didn't break up for that reason, but yeah. Like distance, right? Distance was a big part of it. Uh, there's more that I don't feel comfortable getting into because it's not my story. It's sure. their story. But like issues with their life before we got together kind of, she wasn't ready for us to be in a like serious relationship and the distance on top of that, it just wasn't the right time. And unfortunately it shook out the way that it did. And we, it, it's, it's weird. It's one of the first breakups I've had in my life where no one really did anything wrong. And both of us kind of still like each other a lot. And it just wasn't the right time and it wasn't the right situation for the two of us. And it sucks. Cause like that almost hurts more because you know, there's somebody out there who like I feel was like very, very perfect for me and like who I cared about a great deal. But also, I'm, like, very aware that, like, if, if she was in, in pain and she was, like, like hurting, like, I wouldn't have wanted her to continue hurting if we were just, just like, making me happy. So, it's, like, I finally get that concept, like, if you love someone, set them free. Mm-hmm. Like, like okay, like, I, it was funny because I wrote this article. I write for sci-fi fangirls. Mm-hmm. It's, like, this feminist, like, sci-fi page for the actual sci-fi channel's website. And I wrote this piece about a breakup of a lesbian couple on the show Supergirl. And I wrote the piece in December, but it didn't run until the Friday after my breakup. And there was like a quote from the piece that I wrote (laughs) that felt like a letter from the past to myself. And the general gist of this paragraph was that like, it's easy to have this idea of, of love conquers all as like this idea of like, well, you, if you love someone, you just fight through when you stay together at all costs. But that's not really how that works. Like, and it's unfair to people because there's plenty of people who love someone who have worked very hard and it still doesn't work out. And it doesn't mean that you're a failure. And I remember when I wrote the piece, what I said was sometimes love conquering all means loving someone enough to know that you need to get out of the way of their overall happiness. And it was such like a weird, like the universe, like going, okay, you wrote this a month ago. Let's see if you can live up to your own <laughs> ideals. And I think that I have so far, it's been a rough, it's been rough. Um, I'm kind of, I think finally getting through the other side of the really dark moments, but we'll see. But like, I know I last week I felt like I was doing better cause I was very busy and I was keeping myself out of it. But then when yeah. the weekend hit and I had like Saturday free, my plan all week was like, okay, Saturday's gonna come around and I'll clean my room, be productive. And then Saturday came around and it was just me crying by myself in my bedroom for like <laughs> most of the day. And I remember I finally left the house at one point to like get out of the house. I'm like, you know what? I'm gonna go buy some comics and like kind of like have some me time. And then I, I forgot that uh, at Meltdown Comics in LA, they were having a lecture series that my friend runs and I forgot it was happening that day. So I walked into the store like looking like 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 hell and like trying to be like cool and like wearing like a beanie really little makeup probably hadn't like cleaned up at all and then like four people that i knew were right there in the store and they all were like kind of being chatty and i actually like was like just i was so introverted at that moment that i'm like okay i'm leaving i'm done they don't have what i want i'm out of here and like it was done yeah. Those first couple of weeks after a breakup, you just got to let yourself mourn however the hell you need to mourn. Yeah. I don't even I don't even bust my own chops about that. I'm like, dude, I'm laying in bed today. Yeah. I don't I'm give the a worst fuck. at breaking up. I also have a really hard time. You sound very healthy about it, but I have a really hard time letting things go. You know what I think reason why I think I'm having this clarity today is that for at first I was trying to not talk to her at all. Uh, because I was like, well, I need to like get over you as a person. Like, so I want to be her friend. I want to be in her life. Um, but I like needed that like healing time. But then like mm-hmm. a few days into that, I'm like, I hate not talking to you. Cause I was talking to you every day and I really care about you. Um, but we weren't talking that much. And then we kind of had a really good chat yesterday that made me cry a lot. But I also said a lot of things that I hadn't said to her yet. And, I felt like it gave me more closure than I had for the last like two weeks. So that was good. And I think what's different with this one, like, like I said, it's so weird when there's like no one at fault because my last breakup, which was last summer, uh, I got cheated on and lied to about it. And so like a, the person who dumped me like went away for a week 
and and like was visiting a friend and it turned out and I had even said like this per- this person that you're visiting is really into you and she was like no they're not and then that's who she left me for but didn't tell me that she said that she said that her friend had died and she couldn't handle a relationship right now or whatever but she was like already oh my god what a cop out yeah and already it was already dating the guy that she left me for um and I didn't find that out until a month later so I'd already kind of healed a little bit and then I found out all this other stuff like felt right back into a pit of like oh, I was lied to. I'm not worth anything or whatever. Um, so that was really bad. This time around, the lack of a fault was tougher at first, but also, so I used to be really bad about internalizing breakups. Like I always assumed mm-hmm. that a breakup was because something was wrong with me and something mm-hmm. like I was, I was undesirable or whatever. <laughs> and it was, it's very easy as a trans girl, especially to be like, oh, I'm just this hideous monster and nobody can love or whatever. And I don't know. My, my current ex especially was so sweet to me the whole time we were dating and was so into me for a while that I definitely can't be like, Oh, she just didn't like me. Like she really liked me. Um, and I've never really had someone be as nice to me while we were dating. Like I, everyone I've dated in the past for the most part with a couple exceptions were very manipulative or very like hot and cold and played a lot of games, which I just, I can't stand. So this is like the first time where I've had a breakup where I'm like, I'm still, a desirable person like this is not because of me this time and like i've even like in conversation with her like maybe occasionally like still was very apologetic for how i behaved at times and she's like you have nothing to apologize for and i'm like okay we're well, gonna get one anyway because that's just how i work but <laughs> um but yeah it's like i don't think that i can internalize this one and i think that really helps me to kind of get past it a bit because i'm not like down on myself i'm just sad that she's gone oh <laughs> Sorry, that was really cheesy. I'm sorry. It was cheesy, but it's nice. And it and who? I mean, it's. I mean, you know, she's given you a gift for even these three or four or five months. Yeah. Where she treated you so well, and you guys had such a beautiful time together. Yeah, and like, because I went to visit her. She lived in Portland. Lives. She still lives in Portland, but I'm not dating her anymore. Uh, I went there for New Year's Eve, and I kind of had a sense towards the end of December that we might have a pretty short shelf life coming up. But then, like. I was like, well, I already got tickets for New Year's Eve. I already booked gigs up there, and she seems to still want me to come, so I'm going to go, and, like, I'll see what happens. And the thing is, like, the weekend was so good that I actually thought we were going to pull this out. And then, like, two days later, she, like, took some time off and, like, took some time to herself and then kind of came back to me. I was like, hey, I can't do this right now. And, like, you know, that sucked. But, like, um, I think it was good to have had that. Like, I think it would have sucked more if we hadn't seen each other. Like, because I, I visited her at the beginning of December. Mm-hmm. And if that, if that weekend in December had been, like, the first time, last time I'd seen her, it would have sucked to have had that month not seen her and then broken up. But I think, like, getting that last weekend together gave me a little more closure. Oh, this all sounds so sweet, though, as far as breakups go. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, it's it's weird to say, like, oh, I had a really great breakup. But, like, and, and the thing is, like, it's weird because, like, I'm talking to her and, like, she's also sad. Like, she's she's not, like... She didn't just, like, dump me and then, like, be fine. Like, she's had a rough time with it, too. But, like, she made a decision that is better for her in the long run or for now anyway. And, like, yeah, it's really weird. I've never been through this kind of experience before. Well, growing up, we're taught that, like, the most important thing is love. And the older you get, the more you realize, well, that's about 25 or 30% of it. Timing and where you are in life and your values. All these things mean so much as well. Yeah, and it's also... I, my friend sent me this link to this video that was like, it was kind of like a Buddhist type thing, but it made it, it was like some sort of like Lama talking. Um, but the point that this, the speaker made, I can't remember who it was exactly, but was that like love and attachment are not the same thing. Like mm-hmm. love matters, but sometimes love does not mean that you were going to be with somebody like you, like I, like I definitely felt like I felt some love for her, but that's why I have to like not be shitty about her needing what she needs. And like, I, I understand that it means we'll probably won't end up being together. Like I know like there's that, th- there was that brief bargaining phase uh-huh. where I was like, you know what? When, she'll probably work through her stuff and then we'll figure it out and we'll get back together. But like, you can't even do that. You can't even like hold on to that because that's just, that's just the bargaining stage of grief. That's just like you being like, ah, this isn't really going to happen this way. And well, it's also, I mean, we are in this generation that is like more likely to get back together than previously, but it is, it just sets you up for this, kind of miserable yeah. not being able to move on is to cling to this hope. Yeah. It, even, yeah. It actually makes it harder for that to happen. Yeah. Ironically. It's, it, just it's weird. Yeah. Cause it's pining and you're no longer, there's a thing too where like, 
it's the same kind of thing like when you have a crush on someone that doesn't like you back, but you keep thinking like, oh, if I hope hard enough, they'll come, they'll find me and uh-huh. they'll love. But it's like, why would you want to be with someone who doesn't want to be with you? And like, that's one of the hardest lessons to learn in dating is like, why would you want to be with someone who yes. doesn't want to be with you? And <laughs> even in this case, even though she had feelings for me and I had feelings for her, she still doesn't want to be with me, at least right now or maybe ever. But at the end of the day, no matter what the technicalities are, she doesn't want to be with me. So why would I want to be with her? Like, why would you want to force someone to stay if they're not in love with you? Yeah. Um, let's talk about, um, cause we talked when we were, had Dilo on, he also said such interesting things about his experience with the hormones, like it, like totally, like it, it, it sounds like you tried to like not get hormones. You you did everything except for that, and then yeah, but but it came for, to the point. What what was the thing? What was it like when you're like shit? I I need to do this. It was actually more the way it was presented to me changed because I always kind of viewed the hormones more as just a purely physical thing. And I was already in my 30s. And so I felt like, well, I'm already past the point where my body really changed to the point where I think I'll be happy with it. And I got stuck in this logical loop where I, I know, and this is still true, but I will eventually get to a point where I will hit a wall where there is no way that I can really get any more transitioned that makes sense there's there's gonna be a point where i will get as far as i can go where the only way i can be more of a like i will never be a cis woman you know what i mean so there's eventually i'm gonna hit the the limit of what's physically possible for me to do and i will eventually have to make peace with that and so i got in this loop of well if i can make peace with it then why can't i make peace with it now Mm. and so i was like i'm just gonna make peace with it now and i'm just gonna try to live like living like gender fluid and just like wear the clothes I want to wear and like use multiple pronouns or whatever. Even though I knew that I was a woman and wanted to live as a woman because who I was, I was like, I'm just going to make peace with it and I'm just going to live with myself. Um, and again, I always view this physical. I was like, well, I don't need to just, I don't need to grow boobs to be happy with who I am as a person. I don't need to have softer skin to be happy with who I am as a person. Like I can just be myself. And then somebody explained it to me, my friend Bryn, she said to me, she goes, it's not about what it does to how you look. It's about what it does to how you feel. Mm. And the way she described it to me was she said that it's like you've been running a Mac computer, but you've been trying to run Windows on it natively, and like it doesn't ever work properly. It just for some reason, the firmware and the software never work properly. And she goes, imagine that, and then imagine suddenly you installed Mac OS on that computer, and you're like, oh my God, this wor- everything clicks, it's run smoothly and stuff like that. And that's 100% accurate to how it feels to me, is that having been blocking testosterone for almost three years and blocking estrogen, and, and taking estrogen and stuff like that, I just feel like... I'm so much more in touch with my emotions. I feel like I feel a better range of emotions. I feel like I'm much more emotionally mature than I was. And like, I feel like I have lower lows, but I have higher highs and I'm much like, I used to get really angry a lot and I used to get really frustrated and I don't as much as I used to. I mean, I still get like things that piss me off, piss me off, but like, I don't have these like, like rage fits that I used to have. And like, even people have told me who've known me on like social media for like two or three years have told me they've seen like a major change in the way that I respond to things. And like, I'm like, my temperament's different and my, I'm much calmer. I'm much more willing to like, kind of just like listen to people and hear them out or just avoid fights. Like I'm at a point now where someone like, like is like kind of crappy to me and like I don't instead of engaging them in a big fight I just unfriend them and move on you know it's like I just let people go and I don't deal with it as much um yes that was the big thing I think I answered the question that you asked yeah you did I went on a very long rant there also one of the things that also there was if I if I do have like an epiphany moment it was that I was already kind of thinking about transitioning but I hadn't decided to do it yet and that was in 2014 and like I had been, I had like been reaching out to like therapists and stuff like that. Like, do I want to talk to somebody about like, I basically wanted someone to tell me that to do it. Like I wanted to pay <laughs> a person uh-huh. to go, yes, take these. Like you know, I literally, I remember like talking on the phone with a therapist, like trying to negotiate with him if I was going to come see him and talk to him. And all I really wanted to do was go to him one time and have him say, yes, you're a trans woman. Take these pills. Um, and then what happened was 
uh, that summer I was on my way to Dyke Day, which is like one of the events that happens in LA around gay pride. And I was assaulted in, in a subway station by this guy who had come to LA with the intent of like attacking people at pride. And I was just the lucky winner, the first oh person he saw. God. Yeah. And, um, I survived that fight and I remember having this very clear thing. Like, and it took me a little while at that point. Then I went back in my shell a little bit. Um, but I remember reading this, someone linked me to a Facebook comment thread on some random board that was like trans people and trans like critics and like people who don't believe in trans identities having an argument about my assault. And it was basically like the people who were talking about my assault were trying to prove that because I fought back, I was still a man. And like, it was really ridiculous. It was a terrible idea about <sighs> women are, but I remember someone saying like, Hey, like you shouldn't misgender this person. They serve like she survived an assault. Like you should still, you can give her respect of calling her a woman, but on my Tumblr and on my page, I said my pronouns are he, she, or they just don't be a dick about it. And they go, we can't misgender this person because they said you can call them whatever you want. And I remember going, Oh yeah, I just gave them permission to misgender me. Like I was basically like my attempt at like being cool was like giving people permission to not be cool. And so I was like, no, I'm I'm a woman, and from now on, and like I like I never felt more like a woman than the day that I fought that guy off in the subway. Like I never felt more <laughs> like, no, this is who I am, and you're not going to take it from me. And so that's like when I really started like, no, I'm going to start using female hormones, and like I mean, I mean female pronouns. Sorry. And then yeah, it was uh, that fall when I like went into my first doctor's appointment and yeah. And as soon as you started taking them, you felt like this, like, ah, oh, yes. It took a little bit of time, like a month or two for it, like to equalize. But like, I, I definitely had some pretty like emotional moments when I was like, kind of like adjusting to the new hormones. But yeah, it was, it was not very long after them that I realized that I definitely made the right decision. Great. And you're, you're having your opera, you're having an operation next week, right? I am a week from today. I saw you wrote on Facebook, a whole thing like that explained what was going to yeah, happen. Yeah. I didn't read it cause I wanted to it's talk to long. you about yeah. it. No. But, um, <laughs> what, what is, what's happening next week? Um, what I'm having next week is what's called an orchiectomy. And it's a procedure that normally uh, its original purpose is usually for testicular cancer patients, but it has also been used successfully for trans women is that the long and short of it, the bare, the nitty gritty is that they're going to remove my testicles surgically. And so I will no longer have them. And that means that my body will not create testosterone in that way anymore. Like there are other glands in the body that will still generate testosterone, which like even like says women have those glands, which mm -hmm. is why there's some masculine features in women. But the reason why I'm doing it, uh, is that reason why I'm doing that as opposed to a full vaginoplasty is that vaginoplasty is a very expensive be uh, a very long recovery time and also very dangerous. Mm -hmm. And it is, it is, it is a major, major surgery and it takes a long time to recover from it. There's a lot of prep you have to do for it. It takes a long time to happen. And I don't know if I need it. Like it's not something that really is an important thing for me. This surgery costs a fraction of what that, that is. It takes a fraction of the time to heal from it. It's significantly safer. Um, and it still has that result. Um, and so I may do a version of vaginoplasty someday in the future, but for now, I think this is what I need to do, and I think this will solve the things that I have issues with, and it's also, like, it's worth it. And the thing is, like, I have always approached this whole process as baby steps. Uh -huh. Like, it was, it, instead, I, like, when I was first going to do it, I was afraid of it because I was viewing it as this huge change to your life, but it's not like you go to bed one day living as a man and wake up next day living as a woman. Like, you slowly do it. So like it was easy for me once I started viewing it as, okay, I don't know if I can transition fully. I don't know if I can get a sex change, quote unquote, which is not a term we really use anymore, but I can call a doctor. I can make an appointment. I can go on this appointment. Uh. I can talk to this doctor. I can get a prescription. I can take these pills. And then that becomes your life. And then now at this point, like if you get a vaginoplasty, you get an orchiectomy free of charge not free of charge but it's part of it's, <laughs> it's part of the process so for me I'm like okay well I will do this step and then I will see in a year or two if that that might be this might be the last surgery I have might be the end of my line for me or I might someday like you know what maybe I want some minor facial reconstruction then my face a little more femme who knows maybe I will get a vaginoplasty you know who knows what will happen maybe I'll get a slight breast augmentation I probably won't I, 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 I think this is going to be my last surgery 
my first and last, but I also had a point in my life where I said I was never going to take hormones. So I don't right. really speak in absolutes anymore, but that's, I don't know if it's any, did, was that, yeah, that your question? Does, does, question. Does, it, uh, does it mean, so sorry, this is like one-on-one level. Um, does it mean you don't have to take uh, testosterone blockers in the same way? Yes. That's exactly, that's the big reason for doing it is because, so I've been taking testosterone blockers and estrogen for almost three years and I will always have to take estrogen in some form or another rest of my life. But, um, taking that many hormones on a daily basis does not, it's not great for your body over time. And so if I can reduce the amount of at least one of them, that's a really good thing to do. So, um, right now I take two medications to block testosterone. I take spironolactone, which is a, it's like a diuretic. It's also like a, um, um, like a, like a, what's I'm looking for? Uh, blood, like high blood pressure, like a blood thinner, but like, it's like for high blood pressure. Um, Uh it's like, that's what it's for. Um, also, I take finasteride, which is the generic version of Propecia. And Propecia works as a testosterone blocker. That's why, like, it helps you regrow your hair and stuff oh, like really? that. Which, help, I will say, did a great job regrowing my hair. <laughs> um, but, because uh, I did have a very pronounced, like, thinning spot on my head that gave me a lot of anxiety. And there was a point in my life where I thought I was going to have to, like, just shave my head and wear wigs all the time. And I don't have to do that. And I'm so grateful. Um, but, yeah, so... I will not take – basically after next week, I will not take either of those pills ever again in my life. Oh, wow. Um, but I will have to probably take estradiol through the rest of my life. I will have to take those in some form or another. Well, I wish you good luck in the surgery. Thank you. Me too. <laughs> it's exciting, right? I'm very excited. I'm anxious. I've never had surgery before. I've never been put under my anesthesia before. I've never even had like dentist laughing gas before. I've just like never had that kind of thing. So – I'm real nervous about it, um, but excited too. It's an adventure and it's a journey, and hopefully, I don't die before it's over. No, it's, you're not going to die. It's a very short surgery, but yeah, I'm getting. I'm, I, it's funny because I just like. I think that if anyone ever doubt that I that I wasn't a man before, I think the fact that I'm electively getting my balls cut out should be like a pretty good indication of who I am as a person. Yeah, that's legit. Yeah. Um, do you have any others? No, no, no. Well, where can we find you online? Uh, I am a. I you can find me on Twitter at Riley J Silverman, and I have an album called Intimate Apparel that you can find on uh, iTunes and Amazon. It's a AST Records recording release, and um, yeah, I'm a writer for uh, Sci-Fi Wire Fangirls and International Waters on Next One. Thank you so much. Thanks for having me. 